Good day. My name is Laura Smith. I'm the CEO of Molten Metals Corp. We are working on various antimony mines with the aim of um, getting them into production and becoming a meaningful player in this market. Uh, Laura, lovely to have you on the show. First time we've met or spoken, uh, and we love a new story. Um, can we? I guess there's so many, so many places to start with a new story, but let's start with antimony. What is it? What's it used for? What's the market look like? Well, antimony is one of the oldest metals known to man, first discovered in ancient Egypt um, and used by the apothecaries. Today, about 57% of that is used as a flame retardant. And because of that property of, I suppose, heat retardation is what you can call it, it's got applications for mass batteries and scalability. Because the one issue which you have in scaling up these batteries, if you kind of think about it, it was all about portable devices. So we're going, how do we get a big Sony Walkman down to an AirPod? That was the original. Now we're on the other side of how do we go from an AirPod to an electric vehicle, which has got a lot, and then to a stationary battery, which is a mass battery for storing energy and feeding it to the grid. The problem with all these metals is as you scale up a highly reactive metal, um, you start to generate more and more heat. So you need um, something that insulates it, brings it down, reduces the specific heat capacity. And one metal that has been identified for this is antimony. Is that is that the problem that you set out? We've seen all these sort of um, Teslas and others uh, setting a light whilst, whilst driving along the road. Is, is that what kind of was a spark for, for this idea for you? No, look, I mean, the spark is I've, I've, been, a, I've been a mining analyst for uh, since I was 24 years old, actually. So um, critical metals is my thing. Uh, I always say, you know, you, you eat with bulk metals, you, you eat with gold, iron ore and coal. But um, if you want to enjoy yourself, then um, look at the, the minor metals because they're interesting. Um, antimony is one of those sort of niche metals. It's 170,000 tons in the market. So you can very quickly become a meaningful player and it's highly critical. So so that's what we were looking for. Um in terms of exploration, I mean, I'm not a geologist. I'm I'm generally somebody, um, and I suppose my personality as well, that gets involved later stage, so from pre-feasibility, feasibility onwards, um, and I really enjoy the production side, um, if I'm honest. And, and too many mines in particular are small, by definition, because you don't have these massive mines left anymore. If you did, it wouldn't be that critical um, of a metal. And quick to put into production. So there's historic resources, historic information, there's a lot of information uh, that informs a mine plan and you can really see the end game. And that's what I really enjoy. So when I look for a project, I don't look for very, very early stage. I look for something that, that can actually produce cash flows in the next while. Right, okay. But you're kind of at the very, very beginning stages of, of this. And I think... Um, I, do you know what would be useful? If Can you actually dis describe the, the business plan for, for this company? I kind of get the market overview um, uh, as you've outlined there, but how are you going to go about inserting yourself into, into this space? So at the moment, we've got four projects. They're at different, different stages and there's, there's different information known about each one. Um, I suppose the most interesting and the most developed one is a, is a project called Trojova, which is in Slovakia. So at the moment, we're concentrated in Europe and and Canada. 
Troyova um, is potentially one of the world's largest untapped antimony mines. And when Slovakia used to be part of the USSR, what they used to do is build these adits, which are like long tunnels, and to mine on the seam of those tunnels. And they would calculate or estimate the resource as they went along. So what you have are these very, very detailed um, maps, if you were, of what the resource is, what the metallurgy is, and the adit that has been built. So you, you, you stare down a tunnel which looks like a mine has been built for you. Um, and this particular adit is in perfect condition. Um, somebody sent me a music video the other day before we owned the mine, obviously, a couple of years ago. A couple of kids ran up and down this adit making a movie. Uh, making a, a music video in it so you can see just how much of a perfect condition it is. I mean, the rail track is still there. The, the iron beams are still there. It takes away the need to to drill a lot. It also takes away the need to build a lot. So, so what you really want to do uh, in the scenario is you want to confirm that resource um, and, and you want to confirm it well so it gives you a measure of confidence. Um, and with that, you can start to apply for a mining license. What they call is Slovakia, it's different to Canada and elsewhere, is that you get a conditional mining license. And the conditions are that you meet um, a feasibility study, and often it will call for an, a separate EIA or, or that EIA will be incorporated in some way, but you'll need a base uh, line. So um, that's where we are with that particular um, opportunity. And the reason for for the raise, which we're doing now, um, is we've approached DMT Engineering, which is a German engineering um, company, very well known as one of the oldest engineering firms in the world, uh, been around since the 1700s, so that's a fun fact. And um, we've asked them their approach. They have suggested that we look at what's been done and, and actually do a PEA. A PEA is not required in terms of getting a mining license, but it's it's good mining practice. And it's it's good for uh, confirming and, and getting confidence around uh, what was done. Because what was done was done in the, the 1990s and 1980s. Um, so that that's what we're doing. And following positive results there, we will immediately go for a resource and a mining license. Right. I, I guess the PEA is also a way of you informing the market what the economics could look like because it's uh, as i say it's it's quite old data and it's kind of hard to be able to kind of you know judge judge these things is, is that you, you mentioned i think you've got like three projects in slovakia and, and one in canada yeah um so is that the kind of i guess the flagship project or are the others that you said they're various stages of development there are various stages so um i mean just looking at slovakia specifically the first project which we actually received and therefore got started working on is a project called Tinnansgrund, which is in the east of the country. Um, so if anyone knows Slovakia, you fly into Konchice, it's about a 40-minute drive from there, from the airport there. Um, that is a very large concession. It's got smaller adits on it. Um, one of those adits are mined out. So that is actually a very good sign because I suppose not. what makes antimony difficult is not all antimony is upgradable and not all antimony is usable. So the fact that it was used um, is a very good indication of the type of all that is there. There's another two smaller adits there with, 
where the resource has been calculated. And then um, there's a huge concession where there has not been any resource calculation. So it presents quite a large opportunity for us and, and quite a bit of upside for, for the region if we start. But again, that's going to take more drilling, more effort, more calculation. The good thing is in the east of the country, there's a strong labor force because there's also very strong unemployment. So, you know, there's always these pros and cons to evaluating any project. So, you know, one's good on uh, on the other side. The other side, you get you get a strong labor force. So it depends on what you want and how you decide to proceed. Um, pretty near there. Uh, so about 15 kilometers drive. Um, if you're heading west, there's a tin asset. And the tin asset is, is pretty similar. It's It's got adits there. It's been drilled down to two levels. There's a historic resource on that that um, on that uh, particular mine. The the adit is in pretty good condition, and it hasn't been drilled further. So we don't know if those veins continue down. So you know when we looked at these projects, we're trying to go. What is the low hanging fruit? How do we get this into? Because the aim is production. It's I don't want to be. We're not going to go for. A development company and then try sell it to a major. You know, you want to be. We want to be meaningful players. Um, so we're, we're looking at it with that lens, really. So, so that's interesting to me because I think you know when I ask you about the the model, it seems to be you find assets. Okay, we we, we know about the asset class. Okay, we're tin, antimony, and you know gold, which we haven't mentioned so far. Um, and we've got a historic data. We've got perhaps historic um, production as well. Um, so the view for you is, no, we're going to actually get these back into production or get all of these into production, build our own plant processing, et cetera. That, that, that's the end game for you. Really yeah. clear about that. Yeah. Okay. Right. No, no, it's just that, you know what I mean? And you, you as an analyst will know this. You know, lots of company, companies talk a good game because it's part of the negotiation strategy whilst they're going through development, but then hand it over to someone else's balance sheet to deal with. Um, I see what you're saying. So, how, how so far when you're sort of talking to the market, and even with this, I guess, um, non-broker um, private placement that you're doing, is there a kind of pushback on the Sl- Slovakia component, or is that very much viewed as being able to bolt into the European um, ecosystem for for electric vehicles and and, and wider? Um, no, it's actually been very well received um, by the European um, Investment Bank and and various groups as well, the EBRD. Um, that are specifically looking to develop not only Europe but Eastern Europe as well, um, and and the former Soviet Union um, blocks, which which are I guess the the poorer parts or the less developed parts of, of Europe. So um, there's been a lot of support so far. What we've seen, there's very good academics and very good people um, on the ground there. Um, we've got one consultant, Ferbekos. He's been very good on antimony. Um, he's he's based there. Um, he's helped us get those projects, bring those projects. Um, the university there is is very good at the processing of antimony. They understand that body well. Um, so it, it's been. I'd say there's been a lot of um, positivity around developing those projects, particularly in the area. It's it's also a legacy thing because. A lot of these antimony assets are, and antimony in particular, but I mean tin, and it's true for other um, heavy metals, is that there's a lot of heavy metal that has been left, especially by um, the USSR, which which mined without too much of a careful environmental considerations. So um, 
to some extent, bringing those minds back into production can actually act as um, environmental cleanup at the same time because, you know, we will, we will be responsible, we'll put the tailings underground, we'll treat the tailings, we'll make sure we're not polluting the groundwater, we'll get a base surface. It starts to actually um, make that agricultural land better if you actually have activity there rather than just letting it go. So, so from that point of view as well, it fits in with the whole European model of responsible mining, um, development, and um, being environmentally sound. Right, and let's talk about where you are now. I hear what you're saying with regards to the the the, the, um, the green component. We'll, we'll, we'll call it. There's lots of lots of areas we can we can go go there. And perhaps we will if we talk again. Is you with these assets that you've picked up? We haven't even talked about Canada yet, which again, antimony and, and and gold um, is. A lot of, I guess, a lot of desktop research and reinterpreting of existing data. Then going back in, and as you say, that the, perhaps will be some drilling, but it'd be, it'd be, it's kind of limited. Is it confirmatory type of drilling that yeah. you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you're trying to kind of build a picture, paint this picture um, to, to, I guess, for allow for in terms of later financing, the, the financings that you'll need in the next stages to get. Um, to be able to kind of say, look, here's how, here's what we know, here's how we're going to come at it, here are the processes. So it's, it's it, I get, I get the plan that you're doing, but for for now, the, the for for the here and now, how long is this process going to take? You're raising a little bit of money at the moment, and it is just a little bit of money. What's that? Where's that going to take you through to? And what's it? What does it tell you, or what's it going to allow you to tell the market? More importantly, yeah. So um, we're raising half a million uh, Canadian dollars. That will allow us to work on Treyova. So it will allow us to digitize the core and to produce a PA on Treyova. So it will give us some ideas of the economics, um, some basic resource, not to an NI43101 standard, but that, that's what it will do. And it will pay for um, other operating costs, uh, test work, um, head office expenses, and so forth. Um, so it is a little bit of money, um, but we've, we've worked really well um, together. Then we would need to do another raise, um, and that um, that raise will be to do uh, a, an NI43101 or job or calculate a resource um, for Troyova. Right. Okay. So that's the and what's the time frame for that? For both those. So the, the PA between so the the maximum time the PA can take is about six months, I would say. Um, okay. And then from there, we would need to raise, the, the next raise will come in at 1.2 to 1.4 million to work on the resource um, and then some head office expenses again. Right, okay. And so you must know, I know you can't make announcements until you've kind of got, or be able to announce a resource. You can't obviously talk about the economics until you've done a PEA. But um, you must know now enough to give you confidence that this thing will be able to produce and produce economically because I, I, I don't know obviously you know with um, I think did you say that um, which which was the project which was a few kilometers away was it, was what, three over is or... the one we're looking at there were three, three right. overs in the west of the country three over yeah okay yeah no but I meant you said there was another project which was quite close yeah. by no so so in the east of the country there's uh, Tenensgrund and that's a, that's an intermediate gold asset and then uh, pretty close to that is a tin asset. And then in the west of the country, which is where we're concentrating. Got it. Okay. 
So how do you? Because you, you've got to, you've got to. You talk about getting into production. You're going to have to be really efficient with it, right? You, you know, yeah. you don't want to be building multiple plants across Slovakia. Is have you, have you have you sort of do you have a basic understanding of the size of uh, Triova today and whether the economics could stack up? You must internally have to have thought yeah. about this and got a plan for how you actually get the processing plant etc done. Yeah, remember that we're dealing with a small market. It's one hundred and seventy thousand tons so mm -hmm. that market is worth about two billion dollars okay mm -hmm. um for Troyova, the historic russian resource that was calculated so i'm not announcing a, a resource or saying this is true or anything like that but the data which we have available suggests that on a contained metal basis there's forty-six thousand tons and um on an ore basis is about eight hundred and thirty-two thousand. Now, if we can come close to that, then then I would say a priori it, it's economic, and your aim should then be to to start to try and produce between two and a half to five thousand a year on a contained metal basis, um, and where we would approach it um, is that you wouldn't try and necessarily you, you can't produce metal for instance metals the metal's got to be roasted you can't roast in europe but what you need to try and do is it's a trade-off between the percentage of the concentrate that you produce and the pay so so for every if i want to go for 70 percent concentrate then i'm going to get less material and i'm going it's going to cost me more but i'm going to get paid more so that becomes your your calculation and how you optimize your revenues and therefore, how you optimize your plant. Right. Okay. And, and in the meantime, in terms of that kind of, because again, no one wants to kind of fork out capex too too quickly on all this. You obviously signed a, a deal recently with Scandinavian Steel, AB, um, which is which is a good good start. So how how do you when you when you're starting from a lower position like this, how do you kind of manage that kind of the the cash flow? Um, to kind of get into production, how do you manage the cash flow after you may start to be able to do, I don't know, DSO or whatever your uh, plan is with, with Scandinavian Steel? Um, you, you use development capital. Mo right. Most of these smaller projects which are on a critical metal list, if you have yeah. the mining license and yeah. it can show the ore body and show the business case, you take development capital so you don't dilute your shareholders. Okay, and, and you're talking about the likes of EBRD, European Bank of Reconstruction and Development, that, 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 that sort of You You could take, money? I mean, so they might get involved in development capital, private individuals, or even um, even trading companies. Um, you know, so, so basically what you would want, in a, and I'm talking about an ideal world because we're not there yet, but when you develop a mine, what you would really want is development capital against production. So, so it's paid with offtake. Mm. And and that's how you, it's it's debt, but you've it's allowing you to produce and to set up your capex. Right, interesting. So, interesting. Okay. Well, that's how you do. And and so we should we should kind of go touch upon Canada if you don't mind. So I yeah, skip past that. Um, okay, Westcore, Antimony and Gold again. You know what you're doing there. Next steps, PEA. Is that right? Um, well, even before the PEA, so. So Westcore was um, Canada's foremost antimony mine. We know that it produced uh, during World War One, and um, it stopped production. That 
the legend has it, the story has it, it stopped production because it was carrying uninsured cargo to the war effort and got sunk by a a huge boat and that sunk the company. So we've got every reason to believe that there is still war there. Um, And there's two phases to this. There's the underground mine, which has never been mined on an industrial scale. They've always taken material from the outcrop. And then there's tailings and stockpiles, which has been left there. So the low-hanging fruit on West Gore, before you start you know, jumping into PEA, is to auger those uh, stockpiles and dumps and see if we can process that. Because you're dealing with like a high-value product. So you know, even if you can get a couple hundred kilograms out, that becomes, um, you know, it becomes good money, really. And then you can use that money. So, so talk to me about how you think people should should view, view this company. Um, I kind of like the model where you're kind of going into old assets and you're you've got a bit of data and you're just going to do confirmatory type exercises. Um, the the leap through to production it, it feels it feels like a big one, but but is it? Do you, you have a confidence that you can get to that point? And in which case, how long or how far away is that? It's not such a it's not such a leap. Um, it, the, the leap is very administrative. So, um, yeah, the leap is you've got to get your resource step and you've got to get your mining license. You've got to do your PFS. You've got to wait until the committee sits and decides. And if you miss that decision because you're late on the PFS, you've got to wait again. So it's a it's an admin process. It's not a it's not a, a challenge. Where, where does your, your challenge come in? Your, your challenge comes in... Um, so the processing of, of antimony ore is very simple as well. It, you use very straightforward uh, dense media separation, uh, flotation, that kind of thing. But um, your your next challenge, if you will, is to, to try and optimize your revenues. Do I want to produce 40% concentrate, take a lower payable, but it costs me less in capex, and, but it gets me to production quicker. Do I want to get 70%? Then, I'm, then I can start selling to the automobile industry. But I'm going to get less ore, and it's going to cost me more in capex. But I'm going to get a higher revenue. So, so these are the challenges which which you have as a producer. Um, but getting there is an is is a money exercise and an administrative exercise. And the hardest part about the the hardest monetary exercise is now. It's before PEA, because once you pass that, and you have an and especially if you have a resource, then you've got money. There is money available for critical metals. So this is the hardest part. Right. In which case, tell me, tell me a little bit about your background relative to what you're trying to do now. Maybe some of, I, I, I know John Harris from Bankers Petroleum days, but, um, you know, Hugh and Joel and, and the rest of the team, who have you brought together to deliver this? Yeah. Um, okay. So I'll introduce the rest of my team. So so Joel Montgomery, um, he's an engineer, versus engineer. He's also the CEO of SPMP, which is the largest antimony roaster um, outside of China. I can also credit him as being the man that um, put that asset um, into profitability. Uh, so, so he's done very, very well there at SPMP. Um, John Harris, you say, you know, he's a, a chemical process engineer. He's um, also mainly on commissioning small-scale projects. And this is really, it's, it's a small-scale project. It's an industrial level, um, and there's, there's a lot of upside to it. But I mean, we're not we're not commissioning barrack mine. We we're we're com- <laughs> we're commissioning uh, something of a small niche market. So John's very experienced at that. Um, 
Simon Hobson as well is a mining engineer, so he's very adept at uh, drawing up the mine plan. Not on the board is Beros Bekos, but he's a local um, consultant and, and um, exploration geologist, very instrumental getting things done in Slovakia, speaks the language, um, and is in, involved in, in several antimony projects. Hugh Oswald is in Canada. He has um, been involved in, in several, um, he, I mean, he's a 20-year career in, in Canada. He's been involved in several junior mines. He knows how it works administratively. He knows how to raise capital there. Um, on the IR side, he's also worked with critical metals. Um, so, so he's an asset as well. And then um, myself, I've run core consultants uh, since 2009. Um, most of my work is, I, I mean, I'm, I'm known best as an analyst. So the majority of my work is on pre-feasibility studies, feasibility studies, and valuations of, of mining opportunities. Um, I come from a, a finance and a chemistry background. And more recently in the last five, five years or so, I've been involved in in trading and brokering commodities, um, including antimony. So I do know the market and I do know the players. And so so that's the the background and, and the team there, which is a very strong team. Okay, so tell, tell me this then. As a former analyst, consultant, um, looking at the marketplace, what were the most, and especially around the, you know, the, the feasibility stages um, as well, looking at that, what are the most common mistakes that companies make along that journey? I mean, what are the things that you're very conscious of getting right for what you're doing here? Some of the mistakes um, which, are, which, are don't, which you don't know until you, until you actually do the work is things like you know, you'll take a historic resource, so even like this USSR um, resource, and you'll say, okay, this is what was done. But what they didn't take into account is how thick are the seams. So, and that makes a difference between do you produce 46,000 tons of contained metal or is it only 40,000? That, that starts to, to make a difference. Um, the other thing where people, I suppose, and this actually happens a lot in critical metal projects, and I, and I probably wouldn't have this appreciation for it if I wasn't on the other side trying to trade these metals, is they look at the price of dysprosium or they look at the price of lithium or, and they think that's the price. Actually, that's not the price. And even if you take in like the impurities, it's not the price. For instance, if you're going to trade rare earths, a lot of refiners and roasters only pay on the heavy rare earths, so the dysprosium, the nindiniums, the prosidiniums, and pay hundredth of a hundredth of the price. And now you've got to mine that. That is not a lot of money when you are a mine. The money is made on more downstream in that particular. So a lot of analysts get it wrong. They get it wrong on the processing side and they get it wrong on the pricing side. And that filters into a feasibility study. So when you start now going into your NPV and you think your NPV is X, it's not. So, so that's the one thing. The other thing is that you know, there's this saying, especially at those junior markets, where it's explored at depth and opened at depth and... I don't know what other what other verbiage is is used. Um, it's a hundred, you know. They want a hundred ounces, and they want ten year life of mine. No, you don't. You want to mine this thing as quickly as possible and capture the market, and and you want to walk away with your half a billion dollars, having invested for four years and and ten million. That, that's what you want. You don't want this thing to to extend for 10, 15, 
life of mine. Like, you know, you want to retire. So then stop. you want to move to the next project and get the next opportunity. So I think the way of thinking about some of these projects are, are probably not, not 100% correct when you actually start on the commercial side of it. And it's a big difference between exploration and production and, and mining between the two. And that, that's where I think we, we get it wrong as, as analysts, we get it wrong as investors. We, you're, you're looking for these buzzwords that, that just are not practical. I couldn't agree more with what you just said. It's when we, do, when we do our analysis, you know, companies don't like it and some shareholders don't like it. But the, the reality, commercial means commercial. Commercial means making money. Sometimes the word commercial is used to infer that they, they should be able to make money, but they don't. Um, well, look, Laura, um, fascinating conversation. I like, like I said, I like, I like the model and I like the kind of commercial awareness of, of, and commercial imperative of how you kind of move through the phases here. So I do appreciate you coming on, telling us the story. We will definitely keep an eye on you and um, do come back on and let us know how you're getting on as you move through these phases. Um, Thank you for your time. Thank you very much, Matthew. Thank you.